welcome to season three of the Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. I am joined today by the one and only Gerard Friedman. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? I am doing good. It's We're doing a rare Saturday episode. I, I like recording on Saturdays, and I'm almost like inspired to get more of my guests recording because it's just uh, it's a way to start the day um, at, on, a, on a good note kind of thing. Like For myself, uh, connecting with people is what has helped my career the most kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you are new to the show. I've had a lot of returning guests over the last couple episodes, so I'd like my audience to kind of know who you are in like a two-minute segment or less. So just imagine you're at like a buffet, and you got to tell people what you do in a way where everybody in the buffet understands. Probably be the last thing I want to do at a buffet, (laughs) Uh, but that's all good. We're not at one, so I'm, I'm willing to do it. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Chris. Really appreciate that. My name is Gerard Friedman. I am a certified athletic trainer, personal trainer, and board certified functional health coach. Uh, I am out of Brooklyn, New York. Spend a lot of time upstate as well. And I work full time at a high school as an athletic trainer in New Jersey, as well as part time, although it's, it's kind of getting into full-time work as well um, with personal training and health coaching on the side. Uh, So yeah, those are my professional things that I do. Um, Big sports guy, grew up playing baseball, basketball, (coughs) recently retired. Uh, And now um, spend a lot of time with family. I I love the outdoors and hikes. And uh, I do a lot of improv comedy, actually, which is a little known fact. That's actually really cool. Like I was listening to some episodes before we did this show and that wasn't something that came up. And I think that's sort of like an important aspect of a person's personality. But before we dive too much further, I just wanted to give the backstory. Um, One of my favorite episodes that I listened to as I was preparing for this was uh, Derek Hansen's prep talks. And he Mm. went into a lot of your backstory. So anybody that's listening to this, that kind of wants to know more about Gerard, I would recommend that they go check that episode out. Um, And it outlines things like uh, how meaningful it is to kind of volunteer and just how connections can kind of help us. And that's going to be stuff that I'm sure we'll cover as well. But me, I'm a podcast kind of nerd and everything that I get from being a podcast host is uh, sort of supplemented by every other podcast that's out there. So it's kind of like uh, when one podcast does well, or when, when all podcasts do well, it's a benefit to each individual podcast, I guess. That, that's kind of a, a weird way of saying it. But without further ado, I kind of want to jump into the time machine for you. Um, mm. I want to go to... <coughs> What was life like for you in grade 10? I don't know why I chose grade 10, but we're going with grade 10. I guess what that's uh, that's sophomore year of high school. Uh, woo, all right. Very, um, very tunnel visioned, I would say. <laughs> uh, it, I wasn't really a serious student in high school. Didn't really care too much about it. I maintained my passing grades so I could be eligible for the baseball team, essentially. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, life for me was about baseball and working out. I've, I've always, I've always been, uh, always been in the gym and just spending time with friends and trying to have fun and being with my dog and not listen to my parents. It's yeah, that's, that's about it. It sounds kind of boring, but I, I loved it. I had a great time in high school. Well, for sure. And I mean, I don't think it's boring because it's something that you could sustain. (laughs) It was something that you could keep up. Um, And oftentimes, like the reason that I ask people about like 
their past kind of thing is it gives me a better window into like why it is that they do what they do. And like, mm. it kind of helps me understand sort of like their values or, or the, the, the turns that their career can take kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, I guess I could uh, add to it a little bit since sure. you uh, threw that, threw that in there. Um, I did uh, as um, an athlete did experience plenty of injuries uh, here and there. Uh, I don't know if grade 10 was exactly when it happened, but, um, I, uh, sprained my ankle really, really, really nicely at some point in time in, in high school. Uh, I'm talking about like a, a grade two, like six to eight weeks out type of sprain spent a lot of time in a PT office. And at the time I wasn't like, Oh, this is really cool. I want to be able to go into this type of work later on. Uh, but I was able to reflect back on that when I got to college and started getting into athletic training and saying like, you know, I, I have spent time doing this as a, as a patient and I was interested. I kind of enjoyed the, the atmosphere and the setting and, and the actual work itself. Uh, so even though I didn't know it at the time, it did kind of push me in the direction of, of therapeutic exercise later on. Well, and I think the thing that we can appreciate the most is it puts you in the shoes of someone who has experienced the help of, of a professional kind of thing. It's kind mm-hmm. of like, uh, how a lot of people, they will remind people when they're creating a program, you got to be able to do that program yourself. I think that was something that uh, Dr. Pat Davidson was kind of alluding to when when you were reflecting on his role in your life in, in the episode that we talked about with Derek Hansen. Um, just that like, if you're going to do something brutal to somebody, you got to be in the trenches doing it yourself so that you know Mm -hmm. what you're inflicting on someone. And then it's also just like, from the standpoint of coaching, like, um, the most empathetic coaches in the industry, they've, they've been through some stuff, they've struggled. So they know what it's like to communicate with a person who, who is struggling and, with your role as like a health coach, because I kind of want to have a bit of a focus on that. What I value in health coaching is um, being able to see the bigger picture, um, not just throwing like macros at people or workouts at people or telling people to just simply just make a change. Um, something that kind of stood out to me, it was like, you can't just tell somebody just eat more vegetables and have all your problems go away. What, aside from like the fact that you're kind of dabbling in with health coaching and kind of discovering it before you went and got like your, your credentials for it. Um, what was it that stood out to you the most about that role? Like just for you from, from like a personal standpoint where it really spoke to you. Well, I was doing, I was health coaching before I got certified, which I'm sure isn't legal. Uh, but Part of the the main reason I got into that is because as, as an athletic trainer, I work in the afternoon. All my work is after school with the sports teams, which leaves me a lot of time in the beginning of the day to work with personal training clients. And I was doing tons of personal training and people would get stronger. I knew I was doing a good job from the, the trainer standpoint, but most people come in to lose weight. That's the, their main goal there. And most people aren't successful with just like coming to the gym between two and four days a week to do that. Uh, so like I, I knew there was a disconnect there and I knew that if they didn't change the their lifestyle and behavior that got them to this place of being overweight, then just doing a couple workouts during the week isn't going to change that for them either. Uh, and they have to make a change outside of the gym if they're going to actually see their some results that they're going for. Uh, so I started health coaching without really any formal training. I just read a few books on what the best nutritional uh, approaches um, about sleep, about meat and things like that. And I would just kind of regurgitate that to the clients that I was working with. And it didn't really work. Uh, people would just take this generalized advice and maybe they would be able to use it uh, and fit it into their lives. Um, but it would be short-lived uh, or it just wouldn't work at all. And and they would take this information and not know what to do with it. Uh, and I knew there was a disconnect there. Um, so I started getting, I, I decided to go the more formal route uh, and get educated in some of the communication models that we can use to help kind of deliver this information in a way that is more individualized and, and people can utilize that info. Um, but the the reason I really got into it was because, you know, I was training people and people would get stronger, but 
wouldn't reach their goals of losing weight. And I knew that there was something missing and I couldn't just do it on my own. You know, I had to get training on how to actually deliver this, this message. Um, so that was kind of the impetus behind it and why I got into it because I knew that just personal training wasn't enough. Uh, and we can't just exercise out a bad diet. Uh, and the way that I was trying to communicate this stuff to people where I was just like, here, do this, that, and the other thing, it's, that wasn't working either. Uh, and I knew I needed something a little more intelligent and a little more guided from people that had done it before me. Uh, so that was the reason why I got into it. And when I was able to make a little, that change and, and utilize some evidence-based approaches and work that into my personality as well, is when I started getting better results and outcomes with the people that I was working with. That's awesome. And it kind of led to my next question, which I have, like, just basically, based on how you have found your other continuing education uh, opportunities through other people, um, who was it that led you to take this health coach direction? Like, what, what was the compass that guided you to your, your certification mm -hmm. with that? The one of the books that I read that I would just regurgitate to people was The Paleo Cure by Chris Kresser, uh, which is not really paleo exactly. It's paleo ish. He's not very dogmatic in his approach. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I like a lot of the stuff that he puts out. Um, I don't, again, he's not very dogmatic with the things he says. He knows that everything lives on a bit of a spectrum and not one thing is for everybody. Uh, and I thought it was a great approach and, um, I decided, and, and I don't know when, but he came out with, um, a health coach certification program and I didn't, I saw this thing. I was like, what the hell is this? It's, it's health coaching. I didn't even know I was health coach. I didn't know the, the formal like term for it. Uh, so I decided like, Hey, like this might make me more marketable. Uh, I already read his book, so I probably know all about it already. Uh, and I just decided to sign up for the course because of the marketability aspect. I also thought like maybe there are some legal implications there. I'm doing this without an actual license or certification. Um, and there is like a, a certification process and, and some, some, um, some legal literature behind there. So I was right there. Uh, and when I took the course, sure, we learned about the functional health aspect and all the holistic strategies we can do to help people, which I already knew about because I, I read his book. But the second half of that program was the actual coaching part, which was not on my radar at all. And it's like, oh, there is a way to communicate with people many different ways that is formal and is studied and evidence-based and we know can be helpful. Uh, and the really just getting into that program was I saw that he put out this, this program. I was like, I need to get into it. It was the very first year it was discounted because of that. And I was like, oh, this price is going to shoot up. I need to get into this now. And I just signed up and, and took a chance and yeah, the rest is just history from there. And, and then from there that, uh, that program then qualified me to sit for the national boards. And from there I, I got nationally certified. And in that process, did you, because you've networked in other certifications and stuff, and you've met people, and it kind of, it spiders out. It's something that I can relate to, and I know this because I listened to the other episode, um, but in any sense, like, did you find that you grew your network through the uh, the health coach certification? Uh, I, so the, the cohort I was with, um, we definitely, like, a little bit of a click formed, and certain people kind of attract and I definitely formed a bit of a network through there. I have um, a small group of people where maybe like once every other month or so, we kind of link up and, and hop on a call for a half hour just to see how everybody's doing. Um, if there are any new products or any new courses or books that we all recommend. Uh, so yeah, without a doubt, you know, like you kind of meet the people that you jive with and you tend to, those energies just find each other. Uh, so yeah, the, 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 the network definitely grew a bit. And with taking on like another continuing education thing, like what was going on in your career during that time? Like you're seeing this, you're, you're impulse buying this thing because it's on sale, but what mm -hmm. other stuff did you have to juggle to kind of make it all work? I was still working full time, you know, I've uh, at the high school with, with the kids as an ATC and I was still training and I was actually still health coaching, uh, even without the cert. Um, 
so yeah, it was just, it was all of that. It's, it's like my regular 40 hour a week job. Plus like maybe another between two and four hours before I go to work with, with my private gen pop clients. Uh, the, what's great is that, you know, with my schedule, I watch a lot of sports, you know, that's, that's my job. When there are games going on, when there are practices going on, if there's no preseason lifting, or if there aren't any athletes that are injured that I have to work with, then I'm just free to kind of just watch, which is pretty sweet. So I'm able to do stuff on my own, but I'm also able to do some of that work at work, uh, which saved a lot of time and was a great way to consume that information. Well, I love that. I mean, like what I always think about when people are making like their next step or the next move is like, how does one sustain that? I always kind of, I like to think of the mm. big picture because I'm like, okay, it's good that we can do this, but can we do this for a long time? Whether it be um, upgrading our skills or taking on a role or um, just being in an industry. Like we, we see high turnover of trainers and coaches in the fitness industry where it's like, yep, yeah, nope, not going to work. And then they're out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And what brings me joy is seeing people find their, groove and stay in it and having them be able to to show to their network that it is a very valuable um essential career kind of thing just because of the role that we have you've had a lot of different experiences so i can only imagine there's maybe been times when maybe you wanted to quit or you felt tired or exhausted like does that ring a bell sure. for you yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times where I did not want to do the, the 20 hours of, of work that we had to do that week. Um, yeah. I mean, plenty of it, you know, everybody's human in that regard and you have a long week or it's just not your day. Um, so yeah, there's always plenty of that. I, I would say one of the things that helped me a lot, I'm, I'm a big habits guy. Uh, I really love the habit system. I think it's a great system to help people kind of get the routines that they, that, that are going to support their goals and, and do those from a, a, a continuous standpoint, especially when it's, it's something that they don't feel like doing that day. Um, so I like to gamify things. I like to keep streaks going. I like to put a little check mark um, on my calendar to, to kind of incentivize that I do it the next day also. Uh, and a lot of the times, um, just as long as I didn't have anything else in the way, like an injured kid or something, I would sit down in the same spot and I would do my work at the same time during the day. And that location and the time of the day is just kind of a cue that drives us towards that activity. It's a bit of a reminder. Um, and it's just like, well, you know, it's 4.30. I just finished with my kids before practice. Now it's time for me to sit down and do this. And whether you like it or not, it's once it just becomes part of your routine and what you do, it just kind of happens. Uh, and even when I don't feel like when I didn't feel like doing it, uh, I still got it done because it was just 430. And this is what I do at 430. Uh, so that's really the way that I and when I work with people from at, as a health coach and we're talking about establishing some new new habits that are going to support their goals. We talk about time a lot because that's a, that's a big deal. And if we can kind of do the same things at the same time of day, which people already do, and we can try to insert a new habit into that schedule it helps people be consistent with that even when, you know, they don't feel like it or it's just not their day. Well, I mean, it's important that you made that correlation because I was going to ask, I was going to be like, how, how would that transfer over to your coaching with others? And it's like, you, you have to kind of create that routine and those habits and that, uh, those, parts of your day where it just clicks and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we're doing this now. It doesn't matter if it's raining or snowing or hailing, like this is what we do. This is the chair we do it in and we're getting mm -hmm. it done no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of gets back to like what you were saying before, if you're going to help somebody do something, then you got to do it first. You got to know what it feels like. You have to understand the struggle a bit and making like a new change in your life or like breaking an, an, a bad habit. It's hard work, you know, and a lot of people in the fitness industry didn't necessarily go on a weight loss journey. You know, we don't necessarily have to do that, thankfully. Uh, and we're coaching people that do. So if we're not going to be, you know, working on a new, you know, nutritional approach for ourselves, we got to try it somewhere else. Um, so that was kind of my foray into it. 
and and utilizing habits to do something that I really needed to do. Well, and that's cool too because it's we have quite a diverse selection of people in the industry. And what I've learned in my networking is that uh, sometimes you won't know kind of the backstory of a person until you like dive into that connection further sort of thing. Um, just so many of the connections that I made through the compound performance mentorship and just the people that kind of trickle in after that, like just you follow some people and then you discover new people that weren't even in the mentorship, but they were just mutual friends kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen, um, some people who just like they go for their walks every day and you're like what is going on with this person like how are they able to walk so consistently like for me i know my reason but i don't know that person's reason then i dive further into it and i realized before they went into the fitness industry they lost like 70 pounds mm. and so they had to create these habits and then for myself it's like i just have to do brutal workouts because workouts help me with mental health with my energy balance and if I don't do that I fall off track so mm -hmm. I basically I am good friends with Dean Guido he's been pumping out uh, the the high flux the the neat all that stuff just talking to people about walking and making it sustainable and adding to your life um and that is sort of like a habit that I've needed and it's based on, on my past experiences. And so that's sort of like, it's cool to learn that about people because when I learn about like the, the guy that I was seeing that was walking every day, then I realized like there's a new angle to take on coaching, which, which is why I really like what you do. Um, because it kind of reiterates that it, it has people take a new approach rather than just bluntly saying things like there was some polarizing stuff going on about, uh, well, it's actually my friend, Andrew Coates. He did this, uh, post about, um, the different ways that you can get to a calorie deficit and somebody went and took it, memefied it and then just put calorie deficit over the whole thing. And it's like, you lose out on so much context and you mm -hmm. lose out on the opportunity to connect the dots for those people and actually make a lasting change in their life. Mm -hmm. um, but all of that ramble aside, I want to kind of turn the mic back over to you and uh, let's talk about the, the young athletes that you've worked with and like how perhaps those experiences have shaped how you see things or maybe a lesson that stood out from the, that experience. Let's uh, dive into that a bit. Mm -hmm. I first thought when I got out of college, uh, I did a few internships in the NFL and I thought I wanted to work with high level athletes and that didn't work out right off the bat. Uh, I was with the giants coming out of my senior year and I was about to get into the full-time season internship from start to finish and ended up nixing the internship and hiring a full-time person, uh, which unfortunately wasn't me, understandable, fresh out of college. Uh, so I, I got an opportunity at high school and I've been at the high school level ever since because I realized at the high school level and working with just kids in general, as opposed to high level athletes, you can make way more of a difference, not only in their, their, their athletic career, but just in their general life and the things that they value and their everyday habits. And like, if you help LeBron James, like jump, like a quarter of an inch higher, like big deal. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, who cares? Like, he's already the man. You're probably not going to help him jump an extra quarter of an inch anyway. Uh, and I, I learned that pretty quickly with a couple of the people that I worked with, a couple of the younger kids where, you know, I was able to help them, you know, get out of an injury. Maybe one girl in particular I'm thinking of uh, dislocated her kneecap and doctor told her like, she's out for the rest of the year. We only had a couple of games left. It's her senior year. She wanted to finish out, and we ended up uh, having her play in the final game. She scored a couple of goals, almost the the game-winning goal. Um, and it's just really gratifying from my standpoint. She was obviously happy. Her parents were really happy. Uh, they were so grateful towards me. And it was at that point where I was like, wow, this is way better than like just like taping a bunch of ankles at a, at a, at a professional football training camp and like handing out water bottles and like maybe helping people with this minuscule stuff that probably doesn't make the biggest difference in their life. They're already 
at the top of their game. They're already getting paid millions of dollars. Uh, and like, there's not a, a whole lot that we can do to make them better. Uh, so being able to help those high school athletes kind of overcome injuries and really like experience that, that, that gratefulness, um, it, it kind of pushed me towards wanting to continue to work with kids. Uh, and then also like I have had kids graduate and come back to me afterwards and be like, Hey, you know, I'm a personal trainer now. And, um, I am like writing this program to help baseball pitchers improve their performance, but also prevent injuries. And, Oh, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but when we worked together for the six weeks with like my shoulder injury, I really love that. Now I'm going into physical therapy or occupational therapy and it kind of helped kind of spawn a career for me. And again, like that type of work or, or that type of direction that they got just from the work that I did, which I didn't think twice about. It's like, Oh, you, you got a cranky shoulder. Like let's do something about it. Um, it's just, again, just way more gratifying for me. Uh, it makes more of a difference in people's lives. It makes, and it's more of an important difference also like, getting a shoulder to feel better is one thing, but helping somebody figure out a career that they enjoy is a thousand times better. Uh, and because of that, it kind of made me want to stay uh, in the venue and, and the, the level that I'm at and continue to work with kids because like, that's really where the change happens. Well, I think that's cool to kind of reflect on because like, sometimes I think people see something and they think it's something different than what it is. Kind of like the grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. Like, let's say you live in a house and you're looking across the street and you're like, oh, that, that house looks pretty nice. And then you just put it on a pedestal and everything that you do revolves around that. And you miss out on opportunity to see what you're getting in the situation that you are now. Or mm -hmm. the other thing that you kind of got me thinking about was just like, you talked about how you did that internship and then it turned into a role, but you didn't get the role. And it's like, that would have felt very defeating. Like I, I'm sure many people have been in similar situations, but at the same time, if not for that, you wouldn't be where you're at now. And it's like, you wouldn't want to change things necessarily. So it's like the things that uh, don't work out or the things that don't seem quite right tend to kind of work out in our favor. And I kind of mm -hmm. want to draw some examples from you. Like I can imagine that's not with that internship scenario that's probably not the first time that like a door didn't open for you and you had to figure something else out are there other examples you can kind of think of uh yeah yeah sure i mean right before actually right before college uh i was playing in a baseball summer league and i took a pitch i was up at bat i took a pitch in the left eye and it blew my eye up super swollen ended up tearing my retina and I had surgery on my retina to repair it. Thank God, you know, we have the technology for that. I would have lost my eyesight. And um, the recovery was a month. But after that, it was right before I went to school for my freshman year. And after that month of recovery, I was able to go to school. We had fall ball. And during that time, part of the recovery is your eyesight kind of changes and goes through like a process, I guess. Um, I also have this like little like buckle around my eye, which helps keep the stitches in place. I'm not sure exactly, uh, but it changes the shape of the eye, which changes your eyesight also. And it's kind of hard to catch and hit when your eyesight and your left eye is going through this metamorphosis and it's not the same as, as the other side. Uh, and it actually cut my baseball career in college kind of short because of that. Um, I wasn't doing well, understandably. Uh, everybody knew why, you know, it wasn't like a secret or anything like that. Um, but there was nothing I could do about it really. Uh, and I ended up stopping, I, I stopped playing in college. Um, that was one of the reasons. Uh, and I focused more on, on this actual schooling. Uh, and because of that, I was able to take more volunteer opportunities because playing baseball in college is like 20, 25 hours a week. It's like a part-time job. Uh, so when I stopped doing that, it gave me plenty of bandwidth to do other things. Uh, and like we talked about before, the more things you can volunteer for, the more connections you can make, it's probably going to put you on a better path. Um, so I don't know if there's anything specific that came out of that. I, I know that volunteering and, and spending more time with my supervisors uh, gave them more confidence in me. And that might've been the reason, or at least one of the reasons why they gave me uh, the opportunities in the NFL. Like, I can't just say like, oh, I'm going to the Giants. Like, you got to earn that. 
and I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons is because I was always present um, with the different teams. I was always volunteering when need be. And I would spend a lot of time with these professors talking about different things, troubleshooting stuff. And I kind of earned that opportunity later on. Uh, so I would say that's that's probably a bump in the road that at the time I thought was just the worst thing in the world because all I cared about was baseball, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise. For sure. And I mean, with regards to volunteering, it, it's not the most easiest thing to get into because it's like you're doing this thing, you're committing a lot of your energy, your time towards something where you don't know necessarily if there's going to be an outcome. You might not see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's kind of like, I think about it as playing the long game. Like with this podcast, this podcast is playing a long game. Like I, I plan to do it for, for, for many, many years, but a person might look at me critically and be like, dude, that's a lot of time that you're dedicating to that. Like, uh, is this going to better your life kind of thing? And like, for me, I say, yes, for mm -hmm. you, like, let's talk about your volunteering experience. Have you ever had any kind of like, uh, people thinking critically as to how you're dedicating your time or questioning you on your decisions or anything like that? Um, I mean, I, I was questioning the decisions a lot of times. Um, nobody else really, Probably the, the other kids in the class were happy that I was doing it because then they, they wouldn't have to. Uh, but yeah, there'd be plenty of times where I was like, huh, is this really how I want to spend my Thursday evening watching this basketball game? Because I know my roommates are heading out and I'll probably go out later, but I'm going to miss like half the night there. Uh, so there was plenty of times where I was like second guessing myself or like, you know, I really like don't want to do this, but like I should uh, because I know like it's, it's the best thing for me. The organization needs my, my, we needed a volunteer. We needed a student, uh, a student trainer there. And I would also, I, I knew that uh, it's what my dad wants me to do. You know, he's, he's a blue collar guy. He believes in hard work. He believes in getting your hands dirty. And I sort of grew up with that uh, and was the one where it's like, okay, nobody wants to do this. Well, let's just do this and get it done. And it just kind of like that was instilled in me and I took it to college and it was like, well, nobody's raising their hand to take this, this like basketball game tonight. Well, I'm just going to raise my hand and I'll be the one to do it. It's almost the same thing with improv comedy in, in our classes. We need two volunteers get up and stage in front of everybody. And that's the time where everybody's just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm here to do this, but I don't really want to do it. And it's just the same thing. I'm like looking around, nobody wants to do this. Here we go. Like it's, it's time. Uh, so like I, there's always that, like that, that, that part of your brain where it's like, this is a, you don't really want to get up in front of everybody and do this thing. You don't want to use your free time to do this thing. And I try to just silence that as much as I can and, and just put my hand up. And then from there, it's, it's too late to back out. Well, I mean, that's so true. And it, uh, there's some advice to be taken from that. And I'll kind of like back it up with some of my own experiences. Like, you talk about improv and we'll get into that in a bit, but also just with the whole, like putting your hand up for an opportunity like that, that is what makes things happen kind of thing. Like it, you're not going to get anything by just waiting for someone to say your name. You got to put mm -hmm. your hand. And my experiences that I've had is like, uh, during the pandemic, I spent about three months working remotely for Lululemon just to supplement my income with the gyms being mm -hmm. closed. And they did their interviews entirely virtually. And so it's like you're in a room with like a hundred other people, a hundred other faces, screens, and like they're not calling names. They're waiting for somebody to speak up and say why they're qualified for the job. They're waiting for somebody to answer the question as to like you're, you're on the spot. You're trying to pull from your past life experiences to say why you're best suited for the role. And it's like a great analogy for life. Like if I waited to be the last person to answer the question, I wouldn't have done that job. They would have picked somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so I pushed myself to maybe not always be the first, but not be the last, not be mm -hmm. like the 20th from the last, be somewhere in the middle of the pack and then just improve on it every time mm -hmm. to the point where I was, I was much more brave to, to answer. And you got something mm -hmm. to, to add on, I can see. Yeah. I mean, I just think that like a lot of the times we're just all in our own head, you know, we, we suffer more in our brains than we do in reality is that, you know, famous Seneca quote. And if people just were able to, and there's lots of different ways to accomplish this kind of just get past that, that one little stop sign 
which is saying, you know, what if this or what if that, or like we have anxiety about the future. Um, and we put ourselves out there more times than not, it's going to be a positive experience. We're going to get something good out of it. And we're probably going to make a connection, which is going to propel us in one way or another and kind of set us up in the future with something that we didn't expect. Uh, and when we're able to just kind of get past that, that one little part of the brain that says, ah, I'm, I'm anxious about what might happen, even though nothing has happened yet. And it hasn't, it doesn't exist because it's in the future. Usually more times than not, it's going to be something positive and you're going to get something good out of the experience or just, it's going to be benign and like, cool. I went, I did my improv sketch or skit. Uh, and now it's somebody else's turn and nobody ridiculed me or like laughed at me instead of with me. Uh, and usually like, it's, it's always not as bad as how we think it's going to be. Well, it's so true. And um, just to kind of like get into the improv thing, like what, what got you started with it? Because I'll share a bit about myself. Like I, I've done some improv in the past. I was in an nice. improv club when I was in, uh, I think probably, that was probably what I was doing in grade 10. Um, nice. And I've acted in a dinner theater and I've, I used to go to improv shows all the time because it's just like it was a nice little reset and probably in my future I'll probably go and do improv classes but it leads me to ask you what sparked it like you're you're an athlete you're kind of a, like a jock like from my point of view I wouldn't have expected you to say improv but I understand mm -hmm. why you would do it what what kind of got the ball rolling for you uh it, it was just sort of by chance my my wife for her job she does a lot of public speaking and presenting to the company and Improv was recommended to her to, to help with just her public speaking skills and her comfort in that role. And her job paid for it. And I was like, yeah, I, well, you know, if they're paying for it, we can get two for the price of one. Uh, so if there's a money deal there, I might just go after it. And I decided to join her. Yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> it's because she was doing it and her, her company was taking the bill. So I was like, what the hell? You're going every Saturday for three hours for eight weeks. I'm not doing anything. Let me join you. Uh, and I love comedy. I, I love comedy shows and all that. So it's like, what the hell? Let's, let's give it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? Within doing improv, what is the thing that tested you the most? Like, you know, in sports, you go into a tough competition and you have to pull out like your best skill or your strength. Now we go into the lens of improv. Like what was the strength that you had to pull out to get through like a, a tough uh, spot? It's like, like we said before, stepping up on stage, like being the one to volunteer. Uh, eventually, you don't have a choice because everybody has to go. But like being one of the first people to just get up there when you have no idea what you're supposed to do, what you're, what you're supposed to say, it's, it's improvised. Uh, so like you can't rehearse anything. And it can be kind of nerve wracking getting up in front of a crap ton of people with no idea what's going to happen next. Uh, so getting like strengthening that muscle to get past that point uh, is probably the biggest hurdle, I would say, probably for most people. Uh, and it's still there. It never really goes away, but it's a lot easier to get past at this point. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's that little nerve right there. That's nice. Here we go. Uh, whereas when I first started, I would start I would kind of let it like let it take me a little bit and I might be like closer to the last person to go and eventually you just work your way up a little bit more. And that, that was probably the biggest hurdle. And, and we're all students, you know, we're not professionals with this stuff. Uh, so when we were first starting out, especially that was difficult, but you know, eventually just get more comfortable. Well, I think that's cool because like you talked about how like we get in our own head and I've gotten to the point in my career where I just assume everybody gets in their own head. Like I just figure we're all human even mm -hmm. like the, the smartest of minds, the, the wisest of people, the most experienced person in the room gets in their own head. Some people speak openly about it and share it. And some people, you just assume that they just never get knocked down or they never doubt themselves. But putting that all aside, like I think it's so important to have like external things that we do 
to kind of like, if nothing else, just prove to ourselves that like, we're not going to explode if we put <laughs> ourselves out there. We're not going to light on fire if we try something new that nobody else that we know has done. Like with regards mm -hmm. to like the, the health coach stuff that you did, like I feel like it would have been an uncommon thing, like maybe amidst your, your current network that you had, maybe not a lot of people were, were doing health coaching or, or am I assuming? I, I mean, I didn't know any, uh, I knew plenty of trainers that would talk about, you know, nutrition in between sets and, and during rest periods. Uh, but that, that's like what a 90 second combo that doesn't really actually lead to any real action or a plan or anything. Uh, I would talk to people like on the side, we would go down to the gym office, but I didn't really know anybody else. I didn't even know health coaching was like an official term. I didn't, I didn't call, I, I called it nutritional counseling. Uh, and we, sometimes we didn't even talk about nutrition. Um, so yeah, I, it was a totally new thing to me. Uh, and I didn't know about it until Cresser dropped that program. I was like, oh, this is an actual real profession. Yeah. Like, let's check this out and see what it's about. Uh, and I think like what improv really links with that, uh, especially what you said about we think there are some people that aren't in their own heads and they just have it all figured out when in reality they don't, you know, and we're all human. We all kind of deal with the same issues and going into health coaching conversations, like it's just something that we always have to have in the back of our mind, especially when we're working with people who are ambivalent or who are having a hard time kind of developing the habits that they need to support their goals. Even if they're the right ones and they're the, they're the person that chose these things and said it's the best for them, uh, it's still hard to make that a reality. And when I was a young coach and first going into it, I would get a little frustrated they like, what the hell? This person doesn't prioritize this stuff. Why can't they just make this happen? And as I got just more mature, um, especially when I started meditating a lot more often, I realized that, you know, people have shit going on and I don't necessarily see that. I don't know what's going on in their head. I don't know what's going on in their life currently. I don't know what their past experiences are. And I have to be aware of that more often. Uh, and when I was able to just maintain that awareness, it just helped a ton with being more compassionate and empathetic towards people, especially when they weren't able to achieve kind of the behavior goals that they wanted to. Uh, and that made such a big difference, uh, not only with just my personal frustration and, and how I dealt with things, uh, but also my ability to communicate and establish a good coaching rela relationship. Cool. Just that, that one point of view. Yeah. And that, that's so important. Like you just kind of captivated me there because I was like, wow, like that, that is kind of my style that that is something that, uh, I almost get preachy about is just like having that compassion and being able to really dive deeper into connection with these people that we're, we're making kind of thing where we understand more than just what they're not doing, but like why they're doing what they are doing kind of thing. And to, to sort of like look into it from a lens that we understand more about them than we did before kind of thing. Like we're learning about these people as a means to meet them where they're at and help them rather than to try and make them into somebody that they are just not. And just because everybody's different sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. You do some work with uh, compound performance. You're kind of like a, a part of their, their platform kind of thing. And that, uh, Oftentimes, I like to kind of hear the backstory of how people get connected. I think I've given Kyle Dobbs about 100 shout-outs on this show, so I will continue <laughs> yeah. that trend. Um, how mm -hmm. did you guys connect? Uh, I first met Kyle at um, Flow Retreat in Costa Rica, at Ben House's place. Uh, we went to a bro retreat there with like 30 bros, and it was super bro-y. And we all lifted a ton of weight, and somebody ended up dropping a lot of weight on their toe, and that's a whole different story there. Uh, so somebody left without a toe, um, but it wasn't Kyle. And uh, I connected with Kyle there. I was probably like, we had chatted maybe online leading up to that just randomly. Uh, and um, we had a lot of good combos there. We connected there and there was a lot of things from a business standpoint that I had just zero experience or knowledge with. The personal training, I'm, I'm very, I'm all private now with my personal training. But years ago, I worked for a semi-private uh, personal training gym where I would just I would have a block of hours and they would clients would sign up. So I didn't have to try to get clients. 
I didn't have to try to market myself. It was just given to me. And when I went private, I was like, okay, like, I don't know how to do this. Uh, so I, I you know Kyle is very business savvy and started working with him one-on-one -on -one from a mentorship perspective. And we did that for about half a year. We did a lot of that. Um, and it was great. He helped me tremendously from the business standpoint. Uh, and I was, I think at that point I had finished my health coach certification and yes, I was trying to build up my health coach business. And that's really the main thing we were working on. Uh, and Kyle didn't really know what health coaching is. The, the, the title doesn't really, it's not very explanative. Uh, so like we talked about it and like, he thought it was very important. He thought it was a problem that, uh, the industry faced a problem and health coaches could solve that. Uh, so he values it. Uh, and when he went fully remote with his company and started building that out, um, I reached out to him and I do this with a colleague, Samara Gonzalez. And he was like, yeah, like we want, we don't want this to just be about working out. We don't want it to just be about training. This is a holistic program. We want to talk about business. We want to talk about training and biomechanics and femurs, but we need to talk about the other things that matter too. And it's not in his ballpark. It wasn't in Matt's ballpark. I don't even think Matt was around at that point. Uh, and he was like, you and Samara are the people to do that. So I would like you guys to be a part of this program, uh, present to the people that are in the group, uh, and also maybe put together a product that trainers can utilize that are, that if they want to follow this sort of path where they're working with their clients outside of the, off the gym floor about lifestyle and nutrition and meat and all that, like they have some formalized guide here, like a little bit of a foundation that they can utilize. And if they want to know more, now they can go take a course or read a book or get a certification or anything along those lines. Um, but that was really how it got started. Uh, he wanted to fill that role and he wasn't the person to do it. So, um, he, he asked us if we would be those, those people and the rest is history. Well, and it's cool. Cause like Kyle is an example of a big picture thinker. Like mm -hmm. I can always tell that he, he can understand the depth of a situation and he can see the context and the minutia. I actually saw somebody tag him on Instagram saying that he's the context King. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. he is like, he, he is able to um see the little details and unless you pay attention you it's hard to um pick up on that with people like it's hard to really understand what people are actually trying to say or what people are what their purpose truly is because like from mm -hmm. the outside in we're thinking oh they just want to do this and this but when we discover more about people similar to what we what a person would get from health coaching similar to how they would understand that client better it's just cool to be able to understand like our colleagues and our, our mentors and our role models to the degree that we get more out of those connections sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the biggest, I mean, I don't want to say it's a problem per se, but a thing that I see a lot in the industry from the health coach, coach perspective is that trainers think they need to do everything on their own. This is, this is my client. I need to like guard this person. And like, if they need something, outside of training, like I need to figure that out. Uh, and like, I can't involve other professionals because maybe they'll steal the client or whatever. Uh, and I really applaud Kyle because he's not like that at all. He's like, he knows his wheelhouse. He knows what he is qualified to talk about and what he should be talking about. And there's other stuff too. And he is happy to say, hey, this isn't really my thing. Go talk to Gerard about this and Samara because like they are the experts in this. They're, they've been doing it for many years and they're going to have better things to say than I am. Uh, so like referring out to other people for other things is great. <laughs> you know, I just listened to um, uh, your last podcast with um, Tony. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say his name, last name, right? Gen Gentle core. Yeah. General core. Yeah. General core. Uh, and like he talked about, like give other people credit, refer to other people, say where you got this from. And like, if, if this isn't your thing, say where you can go, like find this thing and what professional is going to help you with it. Uh, and Kyle does a great job of that. And I wish um, more people in the industry would would take that that stance, that viewpoint. And I can collaborate more with trainers and be like, hey, you know, I tried talking to this person about nutrition. It's just not sticking. We need another approach. I'm mostly just here to train. That's what I'm in this business for. So like, can you work with this person from the nutritional standpoint? 
or like they're not doing their home workouts. They're not doing any neat. They're not following my program. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting a little burnt out. Like, please, like take this person for me, send them back when, when they're good to go. Uh, and like, that's kind of the collaborative relationship I want to have with trainers that hasn't quite developed in the way to, to the point that I, I want it to yet. Uh, and I just applaud Kyle for, for championing that role. Well, and I think it's important for people to reflect on the fact that like, no matter how many nice things you say about other people, your colleagues, even if you're just referring out, like you're not going anywhere, you're not going to go extinct. Like I, I can compliment people all day and I, I've referred people to others and others have referred people to me. Like my 2020, 2021 year has been a lot of referrals from other trainers just because uh, like I, I'm good at working with kids. I'm good at, uh, working with people who are in a specific region. Like sometimes it's just logistical, but, um, <laughs> it's a person can look at everything they do from the abundance mindset and totally survive. If nothing else, they will probably thrive because they're mm-hmm. going to be surrounded by people who are going to be able to help them get out of their head help them refine on the things that maybe they might not know everything about, like whether it be the continuing education aspect or the, the referral out, because we're only going to have so much energy to do things before we die. Like we're not going to be experts of everything in our lifetime. So Mm -hmm. we can refine it on a couple of things and then use our network, use our people that we've connected with along the way to fill out the rest of the gaps kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of having a network if you're not going to use it, you know, and like, you're also not doing your client any service if you can't help them with a specific problem. Uh, I've, you know, I'm had spent most of my career in therapeutic exercise. Uh, but I've also spent a lot of time doing other things outside of that, like health coaching, for example. So if I'm working with a client who is in some sort of chronic pain, and I can't seem to figure out what they need to do. I've referred out so many times to PTs in my area. Um, and like, I don't lose a client over it. If anything, they're happy because now they have a little bit of a team around them and they kind of feel a little special. Like, oh, I got my PT and I got my trainer. Oh, and they communicate because like they have my best interests in mind. And I, it's it's just to me it seems like the obvious <clears throat> excuse me way to go, uh, <clears throat> and I just you know I would love to see more of that in the industry and people working together and and kind of collaborating so that their clients can get the the outcomes that they're looking for. And I mean something that we can have people focus on is just what that is doing is building trust, and mm-hmm. trust gets you through those turbulent times like when there's disagreements or when there is conflict if you have a strong foundation of trust, um, that is what uh, paves the trail to move forward kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not going to see things the same way as everybody in my life, and I'm not going to agree with everybody in my life. And in in fact, many of the people close to me uh, see things in a different way. And the thing that helps us to to move forward or or to, like, keep that connection solid is trust. Knowing mm-hmm. that uh, we're going to act in our integrity, knowing that uh, we won't let that other person down, like loyalty, all those things, that makes a big difference. So if a person is feeling like doubtful as to like, should I actually do this? You know, I should maybe just keep all these people to myself. Like, no, like you're going to be okay and just focus on that trust with your client mm-hmm. because if they know that you would go to extreme lengths to take care of them recruiting every expert that you know in North America to help take care of them, uh, they're going to trust you way more than they would if you were trying to convince them that you know the most out of everybody in all the land, everybody in your yeah. town, everybody in your – like it just won't work. Yeah, yeah. I Not to beat this topic, but I, I saw a post recently that, that kind of bothered me and I reposted it and said some things about it. And it was from a, a fairly popular trainer with a large following that said – if I have a client who cancels sessions and doesn't do their programming, I'm going to fire them because they don't value my time. And there are other people that are waiting for me that will. And it's like that, like if you can't work with that person, fine, but don't fire them, refer them to somebody who can help them. Because what you're saying basically is I'm only willing to work with people who are ready to meet my expectations. 
And you're, if you're in this business to help as many people as you can, you're going to miss a lot of people there. And you're going to miss the people that need the help the most because they aren't already doing this. They're struggling to make it happen. And you're just saying, well, then, you know, come see me when you're ready and go figure it out on your own. And if you just want to work with people who are in that action stage, then fine, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a client that isn't there, send them in a direction that helps them get there. Don't just send them out on their own and go figure it out. You're fired. Like refer them out to somebody who can get them to that stage where they're taking action. And then that health coach will probably just refer them right back to you, you know, because they're not a trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, it just, it just seems like common sense to me, but with some people it just, they don't see it that way, which is, it is what it is. Well, I completely agree. And I feel like if anybody shared the attitude of that poster, like I remember seeing the thing, so I know exactly what you're talking about, but like just mm. the person who made that post, if somebody felt, Oh man, like I, I feel that way too. Sometimes like it's, it's a self-limiting behavior. The only person you are directly impacting is yourself because that person who you fire is going to, through the process of elimination, like find somebody that works better for them. Similar to how when we go for opportunities and a door shuts and it still works out for us, it's going to work out for the client. They'll find their mm -hmm. way. And mm -hmm. that person is going to be just stuck in their own echo chamber thinking that it's my way or the highway. They're not going to get these connections. They're not going to get that personal growth. And at some point, it's going to be like, why are we doing this? Like we are yeah. at a standstill. We're feeling stagnant. So hopefully people kind of hear that loud and clear. What, what was most unfortunate really that bothered me the most was the comment section actually, because now I see like all these other coaches, probably younger coaches, people that see this, this person as a person of influence that are like, hell yeah, you know, forget that client, like fire that guy. He's useless. And it's like, well, you're a young coach. You got a lot of years ahead of you. If that's the viewpoint you're taking, like you're going to really limit the amount of people that you can help. And, and it's unfortunate that this person's viewpoint, which is void of context because it's, it's Instagram. There's no, not a whole lot of context there. Uh, it's just going to kind of maybe send you in a path that isn't as, as great as it could be. For sure. So yeah. you mentioned Samara Gonzalez and she's been on the show. So anybody Hi. who is wanting to know more about her, I highly recommend they go back and find that episode. But I just kind of want to know, like, how did you two get working together and what are the things that make you a good team? We, um, so I knew Samara before I was a health coach. Uh, she worked at Hype for a number of years and I'm just friends with a bunch of people there. Um, so like, I just kind of randomly met her and it, it's actually funny. We ended up living like four blocks away from each other, um, which in New York is like a 45 minute drive. Uh, uh, and sh so she's also a board certified health coach. We do the same thing. And like I said before, like I want to collaborate with people as much as I can, rather than compete, like let's figure out how to not throw each other, each other under the bus and work together so that we can both flourish. She was long-standing friends with Kyle also. They worked together uh, for many years at Crunch. And when I approached him about, you know, the the um, partnering in compound performance, uh, we had discussion about how Samara would also be a great fit there. And we have different strengths. You know, we have different skill sets and they complement each other. And it just kind of seemed like a no-brainer. She's also super cool fun to be around uh, and good at her job. And it's nice to kind of complement each, each other's strengths. And we bring different um, perspectives to the table. You know, health coaching isn't just one thing. You know, I see health coaching as really mostly habit formation. That's the direction that I try to go down. Um, and sometimes she does things a little bit different. And if we both get good outcomes, then neither one of us is right or wrong. And uh, that it just like kind of we were able to marry those two skills and work together to also develop that uh, the product that we have on compound performance, which is the coaching behavior change. It's like a foundation in some of the behavior change communication models that we can use with clients. And uh, and yeah, it just it, it all it, it all worked out because of that. Love it. And you talked mm -hmm. about the product and I was going to mention it. So like people could go to the compound performance website to find it is there any mm -hmm. other things that you kind of want to connect people with that are things that uh, you're passionate about uh, i think everybody should should take improv comedy 
<laughs> just to get out of their own head. Uh, and um, it's just like a, I, I feel like we don't laugh enough in society. Uh, I feel like we don't spend enough time being silly as adults. It's like the thing that we lose out from, from when we, when we grow up and it's just such a great way to just like deal with stress and that's stress management 101. Like let's do something different that we don't always do. And like, how often do you spend like three hours laughing? How often do you spend time, like consistent time going up and doing something that you're uncomfortable with? You know, how much, how much time do we spend raising our voice and being silly and wacky? Um, I think things that are different than our typical day to day, whatever that is, is something that people should spend a lot of time on just to get the variability there. Uh, and I'm sure we can like measure that in HRV and, and stuff like that. But like, yeah, like if you're a construction worker and you spend a lot of time in an outdoor setting, being physical, yelling, using your body, go like spend time meditating in a quiet environment where you're not doing all that. Or if you're a librarian and you're in that quiet environment and you are somewhat sedentary, like go spend time working out or hiking and being outside and raising your voice and maybe doing improv comedy and just trying to find that variability in your life, I think is instrumental from a, a, a mental clarity perspective. And I am more than, I, I'm sure that there are plenty of physical uh, benefits that we get from, from that as well. Definitely. So, uh, that's, yeah. It's cool that uh, you you sort of answered my next like two questions with your Ooh. answer there. So like, All I don't right. even have to do that. So I'm going to ask you <laughs> a brand new question. Your brand new question is outside of like the fitness industry, outside of our little like community that we have on Instagram, who is someone that inspires you and why? I get, uh, yeah, I've been... A, a little obsessed with Andrew Huberman lately. I, I know he's like, sort, he's not in the fitness industry per se, um, but he's in the health industry. Uh, he runs, if you don't know him, he's a, a professor of neurobiology, I want to say in Stanford. Uh, but he has this really amazing podcast where he has on lots of great guests, but he also breaks down a topic for a month and does an episode every week where he goes through all the nuance of that topic the things we should know about, as well as the practical things that we can do to optimize whatever it is he's talking about. Uh, and he's just so down to earth, like he's got a sleeve of tattoos. Um, I was listening to an episode the other day and he was talking about melatonin and it's really not that great. And he called it, he said it was weak sauce. Uh, and it's just like, ah, it just resonates beautifully. Um, and he's just, I think he's a great example of somebody that brings a lot of value to the things he's talking about, but also lets his personality shine through and isn't just so like tight and constrained and isn't scared to make a mistake, isn't scared to say something wrong. Um, he's happy to be incorrect. He's happy to be to, to debate with somebody um, and, and, and be wrong about something and be corrected. He kind of lets his ego go with a lot of these things. Uh, and I really admire him. Um, just because he's so down to earth and chill and also delivers a lot of a lot of really good quality information. Uh, and he's got this massive following. And I ended up reposting. I, I posted one of his like episodes like, oh, listen, this is great. And he sent me like a personal message um, where he talked into it. And it was like, hey, Gerard, I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. And like just the little things like that go such a long way. And like I screenshotted it and sent it to people. I was like, look, Andrew Huber and sent me a message. Uh, and just, just people like that, that are very personable, uh, and no matter how big they are, they try to connect with everybody. Um, just really inspire me to kind of act the same way and, and be that person as well. That's awesome. And like with regards to the course that you guys put out, I'm going to definitely have that in the episode description. So any new trainers, any trainers in general that listen to this, it has my stamp of approval. So if that means anything to anybody, go check it out. <laughs> Um, but with that out of the way, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience before we wrap it up for the day? Um, I, yeah, I think we talked about some really great stuff. Uh, and I would just kind of reiterate, you know, if you are a personal trainer, uh, and like, there are things outside the gym that clients need to do to reach their goals. You know, they got to this place because of those things. 
And if we don't kind of take a look at what goes on outside the gym and we just focus on training, then the, the outcomes might not be that great. And I've spent like over a decade dealing with that. And if you want to do something about that, I would say like really go down the path of continuing education when it comes to behavior change and communication. Uh, because we all take all these courses about biomechanics. We've done all of them, but we never take any courses about communication. And we are in the people field and communication is huge there. And if we want to get good outcomes, we need to kind of study some of that stuff and, and get some of the formal training under our belt, as well as not just the theoretical stuff, but the practical application. It's one thing to read about it. And then it's another thing to be able to do it. Uh, so practicing that stuff, I think, is super important. Um, but on the flip side, like there are trainers that are just there to train. Like Pat, he doesn't want to talk to somebody for an hour about like neat and them figuring out like what the best plan is for them. He's not here for that. Um, and that's totally fine. Like, I don't expect Pat to do that. But if that's the case and you see that your client does need help in that regard, don't just ignore it, refer them out, you know? Uh, and like that person is gonna get way more out of their experience. It's gonna form a better relationship because they know you have their best interests in mind. Uh, and they're gonna get the outcomes that they're really looking for. And if that's the case, then you're probably going to have a client for life, uh, and they're really going to—they're—they're they're probably going to love you and promote you, and maybe get you some referrals and things like of that nature. So, I would just say, like, let's let's all collaborate as much as we possibly can, uh, so that the clients that we work with can get the most out of their experience. So true. And with that being said, we'll wrap it up for today. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, and I really appreciate you. And I—I I think your podcast is awesome. Uh, and I, um, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you.